0: from the New Testament today is from one of the Apostle Paul's letters. It's to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians. It's probably, and almost assuredly, the oldest written piece of the New Testament. It was written about 45 AD. The letter was written about 45 AD, and the Gospels don't take a written form until Mark, which is the oldest of the Gospels, is written down around 70 AD. So these are the oldest written words the New Testament and this section later titled by those who um, put together the Bible in its current form in the order in which we read the the letters or the books this section is entitled final instructions for the church this is our hundred and thirty first annual meeting so we are babies compared to the birth of the church in Thessalonica but these words are as fresh and as important today as they were when they were first written. Friends, you must encourage and help each other, just as you are already doing. Try to continue to get along with each other. And my sisters and brothers, I beg you to encourage anyone who feels left out, to help all who are weak. Be patient with everyone. Don't be hurtful to people just because someone may be hurtful to you. Rather be kind to each other and to everyone else. Always be joyful and never stop praying. Whatever happens, keep thanking God because of Jesus Christ. This is what God calls us to do. This ends the reading from the letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And may these words which once inspired the disciples' hearts inspire ours as well. This morning's reflection for the annual meeting Sunday has two images, extended images, of Christian community. And so they weave together as we imagine and think and consider our vision of community as well. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be offered humbly and faithfully, amen. A.J. Jacobs learned what it means to pay attention. That is, he learned what it means to pay attention to the sometimes forgotten people that contribute to our lives. He wrote a book, wonderful title, Thanks a Thousand. And this is how it begins. The marvel I see before me is the result of thousands of human beings collaborating, he said, across dozens of countries. He said it took the combined labor of artists, chemists, politicians, mechanics, biologists, miners, packagers, smugglers, and goat herds. He said it required airplanes and boats, trucks, motorcycles, vans, pallets, and strong shoulders. It needed hundreds of material. Steel, wood, nitrogen, rubber, silicone, explosives, and bat guano. And what was it? It was his morning cup of coffee. Thousands of people to bring it forward. What he realized is that everything that went into making a simple cup of coffee And he did something remarkable in response to that, he pledged. He pledged to try to thank every single person who made his morning cup of coffee possible. And so A.J. Jacobs embarked on a journey to become more thankful because he wanted to be grateful, but he also then thought, you know, gratitude is good for you. He had read the same studies that you've probably read, and what the Apostle Paul seemed to know even 2,000 years ago is that grateful people sleep better, are less anxious. Grateful people are more generous and kinder to strangers. Now, A.J. Jacobs isn't particularly religious, but before meals, he used to like to remind his young sons of all the people who would help bring their meal to the table. And so he would thank aloud the farmer and the the truck drivers, the grocery clerk who checked him out. And when he'd go through this litany, finally one of his sons piped up and said, you know they can't hear you, right? And Jacobs thought, you know, you're right. And so, as I said, he sets out to personally thank everyone who makes this possible. And so he goes in to the local coffee shop and he thanks the barista. And then he thanks the guy that orders the coffee from a small farm in Colombia. He sends a note thanking the coffee roasters. He hunts down, can you believe this? And he sends another letter and thanks the person who invented the lid for the coffee cup. He thanked the tree farmers that made the paper for the cup. He even traveled then to Colombia to the farm that provides the coffee beans. It does not stop there. He continues, and he thanks the people that maintain the water supply that makes up his coffee. He sends a letter to the FDA thanking them for making sure the coffee is safe for consumption. He thanks the person who made the wood for the pallets the bags of coffee sat on, and yes, he calls up ExxonMobil to thank them for drilling the fuel to drive the delivery trucks. This is a man obsessed With gratitude. And in the end, Jacob's met a lot of people, and he was deeply grateful for a simple cup of coffee. And as he tracked down as many persons as possible that impacted that cup of coffee, he called it, and this is a wonderful phrase, his gratitude trail. A gratitude trail of each and everything and person that went into something so simple. And in the end, over the course of about eight months, he personally thanked 1,031 people. Huh. Well, his gratitude trail, I think, expands, at least for me, the idea of what it means to think of community, or even to think of neighbor. And I want you to try to connect his gratitude trail with what you've heard to refer to a couple of times already, that this past Tuesday marked what would have been, and can you believe this, Martin Luther King's 90th birthday. 90. I mean, he's frozen in our minds at the age of 39, the age at which he died. But Martin Luther King preached and dreamed and taught of a beloved community. I mean, that's what the Apostle Paul wrote of as well. And the Apostle Paul and Dr. King, their vision of community, of course, remains unfinished. The gratitude trail is far from over. But then again, we have to remember that the work of our faith, or even the work of the Bible, is always unfinished. Gratitude, love, mercy, are never complete. But in Dr. King's vision of the beloved community, there are some difficult pieces, at least I think for many of us, because he says that it will be a place where we will never, we will never distinguish between those who are worthy and those who are unworthy. The beloved community is a place of radical gratitude and welcome for everyone. It is a wide and unending gratitude trail. I think the Apostle Paul's words to that church in Thessalonica, Dr. King's vision of the beloved community, and yes, A.J. Jacobs' obsessive pursuit of of gratitude share this in common. They make no distinction, and sometimes I think, friends, this is difficult, they make no distinction between friend and enemy between those for whom we are grateful and those for whom we are not. There's no distinction between the good or the bad, the worthy, and the unworthy. Here's my hunch. That work, that vision, is still far from unfinished. Because the work of the church is always unfinished. But on occasion, we can see it, we might glimpse it. Now many of you know I do like sports, but I avoid sports stories as if they're the plague. But this is about the strangest football game ever, and it doesn't matter if you like football sports or not, because this high school football game actually mattered. And I want you to remember this, it was Grapevine High School, they were the home team, remember that, the home team, playing Gainesville State, the visiting team. And the game and everything about it is upside down. The home team, Grapevine, ends up walloping the visitors, 33 to 14. But the visiting team, Gainesville State, the kids were so happy after the game, it's as if they had won and they they squirt their coach with Gatorade as if they had just won the state championship. I mean, it's the first Gatorade bath ever for a team that was 0-9. But let me back up. The whole story begins when the home team's coach wanted to do something kind for Gainesville State. Gainesville State has never played a home game. They're always the visiting team. Now, the home team is a big school, 70 players, 11 coaches, great uniforms, a parents group that is deep and committed. Gainesville, the visiting team, 14 players, one coach, crummy old equipment, jerseys that already had some rips in them. And The reason is, the reason Gainesville never plays a home game It's because they're a high school for juveniles who are in prison. So they arrived that day and there had been some things already set in motion by the home team coach, Coach Hogan, and he wrote to all the parents and all the students of Grapevine High, the home team, and said, for this game, one game only, I don't want you to sit behind us, but I want you to sit in the visitor stands behind the other team, and I want you to root for them. I want you to root for them this one game. And here's the message I want you to send, he added, that I want you to cheer for these young men and tell them you are just as valuable as any other person on earth. And some people, of course, were confused by this vision, and one of the home team players came in and said, Coach, why are we doing this? And Coach Hogan said, I want you to think about this. Imagine if you had no home life, imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you, and then think just for a moment what it might feel like if suddenly hundreds of people believe in you. Well, Gainesville State arrived, they were walked to the field as they always are, accompanied by guards, And the game began, and they turned around, and they were really surprised because for the first time ever, there were hundreds of fans cheering them on. Alex, who was from Gainesville State, they never release anything but their first names, said, I thought everyone was confused, but then I realized they were cheering for us, and they are saying, defense, defense, when we were on defense. And he said, it was such a strange experience another player said, we can tell people are scared when we come. You can see it in their eyes. They may not think we're fully human. But he said it was amazing because they were cheering for us. And then Gerald, again only his first name, said, they were cheering for us by our names. Well, maybe it figures that Gainesville played better than they had all season. They actually scored the last two touchdowns, but they probably scored them because the home team had their fourth string in. But you know what? A touchdown feels like a touchdown. And after the game, both teams gathered in the middle for prayer. And one of the Gainesville State players said, I'll offer the prayer. And said, God, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you. But I would have never known there were so many people in the world that cared about us. Well, the visiting coach grabbed the home team coach by the shoulders as they were heading back to the bus, under guard again, and said, you'll never know what you've done for these young men. You'll never, ever know. And as the bus pulled away, all the Gainesville players crammed to one side, pressed their hands and faces to the windows, and saw the waves and smiles of the home team as they pulled away. Jesus said, where two or three or two or 300 are gathered in my name, there I am. I don't think, I don't think that means that all it takes for us to be a faithful community or even a grateful one. I don't think that means that we simply have to come together on Sunday mornings to sing and pray and listen because we do find at least two or three people here. Jesus' words are much more about our Monday through Saturday lives. They compel us to remember that whenever or wherever two or three are gathered, we are called to be a beloved community, a grateful one. But a grateful one means where no one is number one, where love is for all people. There is no distinction between worthy and unworthy, friend or enemy, and where the gratitude trail, well, it is wide and without end. I know. I mean, that's an incredibly high standard for a life together. It's an incredibly high bar to be a church. But is it any surprise that there is a lot expected to experience the real presence of love? Yes, it is amazing that this congregation has existed for 131 years, and wonderful things have occurred in the life of this congregation in its past. But here's what we know for sure. No matter what we talk about today at our annual meeting, our work, our mission, our ministry is far from finished. The work of love, the work of mercy, the work of gratitude, is never done. And yet, it is at the heart of what we say when we're a church. Amen.